And if that song didn't bless your heart, you're not saved yet. So you can get saved this morning. That was, that was wonderful. So, I remember coming back to the States in, I don't know, it might have been 2012 or something. I was just, I don't think we were back together. We might have been back together for a couple of weeks, 2012 or 2009 maybe. And we were visiting a church on a Saturday. They were going out, it was in Connecticut, they were going out evangelizing on Saturday. And I was sitting in the back and there was probably... Probably about half the crowd that is here in this auditorium today was there that day. And I remember just sitting in the back and they were singing just hymns before they were going out and thinking about Bulgaria and the people that are there never one time in their life having the experience of sitting, sitting in a room like this and hearing singing like that. And most people don't ever hear that one time in their lives. And Jesus is just, he's so real. He's, we could sing that song a hundred times. And every time it's, every time he's with us. And you, and you could sense his presence. And, and Jesus is everything the world's looking for. He's everything the world's looking for. They're looking for, for fulfillment, it's Jesus. They're looking for emotion, it's in Jesus. They're looking for the truth, it's Jesus. I mean, everything's in the Bible, and we have access to it. And shame on Christians that, that try to live a worldly life. Shame on them. Because we got, we got everything that they're looking for. We got it already. And um, um, to the visitors that are here, oh, look, we're just past through. We're visiting also. So I don't want you to judge this church by what I'm saying or, or us or me or what I'm saying. Come back and hear the hear the the preacher on site, hear him preach. So just kind of discard this morning's service and come back again. I, I would ask you to do that, really. Really. So uh, I'm from Buffalo. We're from Buffalo. So in Buffalo, um, when the babies are born in Buffalo, they give you a tattoo on your back. It's either a Buffalo Sabre or a Buffalo Bill. <laughs> I, got, I got tattooed with a Buffalo Bill, so I'm in the throes of, hey, there's a, this is something good. The Bills aren't going to lose today because so, <laughs> they're not playing. <laughs> um, but uh, somebody laughed a little too loud at that. <laughs> um, but, yeah, we did have Michael over there for a month, and it was, it was a good time. You know, you can, you can put on, and I've told our family this, we try to live the same way seven days a week. Like, we don't do a Sunday thing and then the rest of the, it's like, this is who we are. And it's probably a little easier for us because we're on a mission field and we're in a different place and stuff like that. Uh, but you can fool people um, at church. You're, you, know, you can fool people for an hour. You can put on certain, a certain facade or wear certain clothes. or You, know, you can change your vernacular uh, for a Sunday morning, go an hour without you know, cursing or whatever words you use or without smoking or without drinking or without you know, watching and wasting your time watching Hollywood movies. You can do that on a Sunday, and you can fool other people. But you can't live with somebody for a month and fool them. So, so Michael got the true Malucci, the true Malucci lifestyle in that, in that month, and uh, we, we enjoyed him coming to help us. And um, However, we did, I think we did convert him into being a true Buffalo Bills fan. 
and I, I actually went, went and bought this for him. I'd, you may have to cover up the Nike sign, um, but we got our Buffalo here, Buffalo, New York. So it doesn't say Bills on it, but we're going to make him an honorary Buffalonian, for, at least for our family. So, Michael, you can come up and get this. Um, we did. We did. We had a. We, we did. We had a great time with him. Um, I, I, had, I mean, there's a ton of stories we could tell. We got stopped by the police six or seven times. I was at the police station a few times. If you're looking for excitement, come over and visit us. Ask Michael. Come over and visit us. Um, but we did have something. It was a little hair raising. Um, we, we had, you know, we had, we've been physically assaulted before. Um, you know, we've been at the police station for those type of things too. And the police, I asked the police, I'm like, what can I do to these people when they slap one of our kids or something? Because they will do that. I'm like, they're like, you can do whatever you want to them, just don't break a bone. Because if you break a bone, then, then we have to, it, it becomes a, you know, a process. And so, um, and so, you know, we've had that happen. We had a, a missionary come visit us and his, from Romania, and his like 20-year-old son got punched in the face. He was only there a couple days. And so these are, the, these are normal things. This, while Michael was there, I think Michael was in the car, but I was picking up the boys and I had this guy, had, he had already chased me down. Um, I was by myself, everybody else was paired up. It was a pretty big village, about six or 700 houses. And this guy had come by in, in a fancy car, about 25 years old, you know, weightlifter and just trying to scare me off the streets. He's like, you know, blah, 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 yelled at me and stuff. Well, he took off and I had called the boys and warned them that there's a, there's a guy driving around in a car, just be wary. And uh, so I was picking them up, and this guy, we were just about done. This guy pulls up in his car, and I was talking to a guy on a bicycle, a Bulgarian on a bicycle. And this guy tells the guy on a bicycle, he's like, get out of here. I mean, just like these, I don't know how else to say it, but like demon eyes. It's like, like get out of here. And then he pulls up a knife. I mean, that must have been eight inches. just like this to his throat. I'm like, yeah, let's, let's get out of here. I mean, like you're all of a sudden... My adrenaline was pumping. I'm like, I didn't know what to do. We didn't get any video of it. Like, we're videoing everything else, taking pictures. And um, just kind of, that was the first time that's happened. And I'm not interested in that happening and it happening again. I don't mind other people getting punched in the face, but having somebody pull a knife, no, I'm not, not up for that. Um, but you look back at, all kidding aside, you look back at um, our fathers and forefathers. You look at the Bible, the book of Acts. Um, you look at any history of Christians that tried to live by the Bible, and they've always been persecuted. They've never been accepted. Um, and that's just the way it's going to be till Jesus comes. And whoever, I think pastor prayed the prayer, Let, come on today, Lord. Even so, come, Lord Jesus, right? We feel like we have things we need to get done. He knows what he's doing, and we need to be looking for his coming and loving his appearing. I think there's a crown for those that are going to love his appearing or looking forward to him coming. So... Um, it's a privilege being in Bulgaria. If you weren't here in Sunday school, uh, we are the Maluchis, and we're sitting over in this section. I think this, the center of us is the yellow suit jacket, and we're basically all sitting around the, that yellow jacket over there. Um, that is our fourth son, Noah. So we had seven boys in a row, Santino, Rocco, Gianni, Noah, Vito, Dom, and Rafa. And after the seven boys, the Lord sent us two darling young ladies, uh, that are sitting there on the end, Della and Sophie. Adela had her 13th birthday yesterday, and that was our that was Katie and mine, my's, mine and Katie's 233rd birthday we've celebrated together since we've met. Between us, I'm not 230 years old, 
Um, but we've between our birthdays and our kids, 233 birthdays, and God sent us the two girls, and he saw that we didn't know what we were doing with girls, so he went back to sending us boys. And so the four little guys are all boys, Santino, or uh, Sonny, Mikey, Nino, and Enzo is our baby. He's our COVID baby. Well, what a stupid time of the earth. It wasn't a stupid time. <laughs> what are people doing? Um, anyway, uh, he was born December 19th, 2020. So he's about to turn three. And we've been in Bulgaria for the last 20 years. Um, we were in Barna. And we, have, we have a couple from our church in Barna, Plamen and Maria Milevi. They're with us. The, if you hear mumbling back there, it is my wife with the gift of tongues. Um, this, that's, our, that's the biblical gift of tongues, um, speaking in a language that somebody else understands. And um, so they don't speak a lot of English, but um, she's translating back there. And I said in Sunday school, they are one of, I can count them on one hand, the number of Bulgarian families I know that are Bible Christians. They are one of them. And we've been there 20 years. I'm talking about for any church I've ever been to. There, there are no churches there. There's just a couple churches in the entire country that, that teach the Bible. And so um, they flew in for our son's wedding. We're just in the States for a few days for the wedding. It's the most expensive wedding I'll have. I'm glad it wasn't a girl. I just had to pay for tickets this time. Um, so um, we're in the, in the States, and that's Friday. And then they fly back on Saturday, and we fly out next week uh, back to Bulgaria. So we've been there for 20 years. Um, started the Black Sea Independent Baptist Church in 2005, and we have been there um, since we've been in Bulgaria. Um, and then the Lord moved us, is moving us, is in the process of moving us to a city about five and a half hours, five hours southwest uh, of Varna. We're right in Varna on the Black Sea. You know where the Black Sea is? We're right above Istanbul. So people pretty much know where Istanbul is. We're right above Istanbul, about four or five hours on the Black Sea. And we're moving to south-central Bulgaria, which is, um, which is where the Muslims are. So in Bulgaria, there's a group of people that are Bulgarian ethnically. So they're Bulgarians, but they're Muslim in their faith. Left over from the Ottoman Empire. And they're called Pomak. Pomazzi. Uh, we call them Pomazzi, so Pomax. And Pomax, if you read any um, like Christian material or, or these uh, agencies that send you know, missionaries and stuff like that, they're an unreached people group. So that we don't know anybody that's uh, working with them, and just they're, they're an unreached group, and so the Lord is moving us there. There's a city about 75,000, <clears throat> 80,000 people that we'll be moving to. We just found an apartment. <clears throat> Excuse me, put a deposit on it. I think I left my water in the seat. If Dami can run it up here. Um, just put a down payment on an apartment. You can toss it. And we'll be moving over the next couple months to this city. So we've been in one city for 20 years. We'll, we're moving for the first time in 20 years. So it's pretty big for us and starting a church in this new area. The city's about 70% Muslim. A lot of them are Turkish-speaking Muslims, right by the Greek border, only a couple hours north of Philippi, if you've read the book of Philippians. Or um, the, the bat, they, they baptized Lydia or whoever it was there in the, in the river. We've been to the river there. It's real close to us. Neapolis, I think, is the biblical name of the little town there that's on the, on the coast. Uh, but we're right north of that. Um, but they're not Greeks. They're Turkish-speaking um, Muslims also there. So uh, that's what's going on there. Uh, let me tell you real quick too, I'm, pastor wouldn't give me an answer. What time do you usually finish on Sunday morning? What time do you usually finish a service? I'm not saying, it, I mean, 
I'm not going to stop then, but just tell me what you need. Uh-oh, I got in trouble. Here he comes. <laughs> what time do you usually... What's that? Okay. <laughs> what time do you usually finish? Somebody tell me, just so I know. 12-ish? Okay, 12-ish. So I promise I will... I promise I will not go past 2 o'clock. I promise you. So we will be out of here by 2. Um, I need to tell you quickly this ministry the Lord has opened up um, for us. I, I may have mentioned it. I'm sure I mentioned it in 2016. But in 2010, uh, we, we, we had worked with somebody in, 20, in 2007 in the capital, which is six hours from us. We live in Barna, the capital, Sofia. We had gone there for a week and helped them pass out John and Romans and Bible tracts on the streets. And, of course, we're just thinking about our city, Varna, and we're hitting the doors and trying to evangelize and get out tracts and, you know, everything there. In 2010, I was getting ready to send out a prayer letter, and the prayer letter basically said, the Malucci family bringing the gospel to the millions in Bulgaria. And the Holy Ghost really smote my heart. and He said, but you're not, getting, you're not bringing the gospel to millions of people in Bulgaria. You're sounding... You're sounding highfalutin. You know, that's, that's just uh, pharisaical. So either I had to change the heading or we needed to get the gospel to the millions in Bulgaria. So we, um, I remember bringing a sermon on a Sunday evening, and there might have been, there might have been 30 people there. Um, and I said, we're, tonight we're not singing. No songs, no announcements, no nothing. I said, listen, we need to talk about this. We have the truth and we've been all, all we've been all over Bulgaria now. We've been in thousands of villages, hundreds of cities. When Michael was there, we were in that month. We were in 220 or so villages, 26,000 houses. We we put a John and Romans and gospel track in the houses, and we didn't. In the places we were at, we didn't come across one church. Now, we went to church in the in the city. It was a gypsy church uh, in the town that we were in. Um, but a church to the Bulgarians, we didn't run across one church. And just on the driving up here today, I drove past two or three good churches that, you know, use the King James Bible and, and give a good gospel presentation. And so I said to our people, I said, look, listen, we have the truth. The Orthodox people are not going to be giving out the truth. I said, the, 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 the cults don't even have the truth. You know, the, the Jehovah Witnesses, there's some, we have Jehovah Witnesses, we got some Mormons, but they don't have the truth. I said, we need to get the truth out to the people. And we decided on that day, we, I preached a barnstorm and sermon, we're going to get the gospel to our country. And we decided we were going to get a John of Romans and a gospel track to every house in our country. That was 2010. We're running 30. We lived week to week with our finances up until 2016. I mean, like if my dad didn't deposit the checks that came in we were not going to eat that week like that's how we lived i would order tracks order them like a whole bunch of them so they're cheaper and then go and pay for them little by little and take like half of them and that's how we did it for years so after that sermon i'm driving home and i'm like my i got two hands on the wheel like that spiritual adrenaline like we're going to do this this is going to be awesome we're going to reach this country it's about the size of ohio so you can kind of you know picture about the a population of ohio about the size of ohio and, but we're going to get the gospel to this country. And um, at some point on that trip home, like the thought hit me like, we don't have any John and Romans. And how on earth are we going to do this? We have no money to print all these tracts. I don't know how. There's 7 million people there. So, um, but you know what? When the Lord moves you to do something, listen, this future missionaries, uh, hopefully you got future missionaries here. 
when the Lord moves you to do something, he takes care of the finances. You don't have to go around begging like your dad's poor. I mean, there's, there's something I can't say. I'm going to say it because I'm a missionary. I cannot stand a missionary begging for money. Whose father? Who is your father? It, it would be a shame to me for my kids to have to come to you and say, hey, do you have five bucks so I can go to you know, Burger King? Nobody in their right mind goes to McDonald's, but you know, can you, do you have five bucks so I can go to Burger King? That, that would be a shame on me if they had to do that. What are we doing? What are we doing as servants of God? Well, we need money for this. We need, you don't need money for anything. God's got all the money that you need. Why don't you just shut up and get something done and stop trying to raise money for every other thing under the sun? I don't know why God moved us to do this, but he moved us to do this, John of Romans, and you know what? Surprise, surprise, he took care of everything. Listen to this one. And so that was like 2010, I don't know, maybe October, something like that. Within a month, it was like three weeks later, I get a phone call from a guy I met one time in the Capitol, like I said, in 2007. He goes, Brother Malucci, he goes, we met, I don't know if you remember, but we met, we passed out John and Romans. I said, yes, sir. They had a big group with them, like 30 people. He said, um, when we made the order for those John and Romans in, uh, for Sophia, we made that order to the ministry in the States, that ministry made a mistake, and they double-printed the order. He said that we shipped over a container, passed it all out on the streets. He goes, but there is a container of John and Romans sitting in Ohio, it's been sitting there since 2007. Do you know anybody over there that would be interested in these John and Romans? So it, so it took me three years for, the, for me to obey the Lord, but he had those printed three years earlier, which is waiting for me to just kind of move on his, you know, his moving me and telling me. And I said, brother, you're not going to believe this one. I said, just a couple weeks ago, I told him about the service. He's weeping on the phone. He's like, we will... We'll send you that container. We'll pay for the shipping. So printing them is one thing. Shipping them is another thing, right? It's, it's like $5,000 by the time import and everything. He goes, our ministry will pay for the import, and we're writing you a $5,000 check, $5, check to print tracks because we put tracks, a track that I wrote into all the John of Romans called uh, Eight Truths from the Orthodox Bible You Need to Know Before You Die, something like that. If it's not, if it's not Orthodox material, they won't even, they'll just throw it right in the garbage. So, I mean, we don't have a, you know, I, I'm King James, so I sometimes have to correct the Bibles we have that we don't have a Bible. But these verses give the gospel, and then there's a reply card we had to print and put in, so they want to get in touch with us, we, or they, you know, want a free Bible course or whatever. So, to do all the printing, he sent us $5,000, and in 2011, we got our first container. And we just started. I mean, just we have a map, and we just started first village, this village, that village. Just went door to door, just get, getting out the John of Romans. And then a couple years later, he called me back, that same guy. He's like, you know, how's that container going um, of John of Romans? I said, well, I said, we're getting a little bit low. He's like, we'll send you another container. So that ministry printed the container. They paid for the shipping, and they sent us a second con container of John of Romans. We didn't pay one penny for anything. Because why? Because... It was what God wanted done, and he's taking care of all the financial end of it because he always does that. A couple years went by, and that guy called me again. He's like, well, how, how's that container going? I said, it's getting a little bit low. So he sent us a third container. And a year or two went by, he calls again. He's like, how's that container? I said, I said it's getting a little bit low. He sent us a fourth container. There was about 300000 on every container. He calls a couple years later. He's like, how's that container going? I said, it's getting a little bit low. So they sent us a fifth container. A couple years went by. He said, how's that container going? I said, it's getting a little bit low. He sent us a sixth container. A couple years went by, he says, how's that container going? I said, well, it's getting a little bit low. He sent us a seventh container. 
And in June of this, last, of this year, 2023, we unloaded our eighth container of John of Romans. We have never paid a penny for any of the printing or any of the shipping. God has taken care of everything. We just do the work. We just get them and we give, put them in the doors of the people. And, and isn't that, isn't that, that's how the Lord works. It's like just plug yourself into what the Lord's doing. Stop trying to do your own little thing and make your own little, you know, your own little monopoly on things. Well, this is what I think we should do and make up this. Just do what God, just plug into him and let him do what he wants to do with you. That's what I'm saying. That's what we're trying to do with um, raising our children also. And, and I think they see it on a daily basis. Um, just how, how God just, just is being God. I mean, God, God loves people more than I could ever love people. God sent Jesus to die for people. I can never have that love. Our only access to that love is through God. It's his business. It's not ours. It's his kingdom. It's not ours. And so we've been to about 2.1 million houses now in the last 12 years. And we should finish the country, every house in the country, by the end of 2027. In fact, we will not be back to travel unless we have a marriage, and it'll just be for a month. But we will not be back to be in the States as a family until 2020, until we're done. So hopefully that'll be 2028, and hopefully we'll schedule a meeting here. But hopefully, more hopefully than that, the Lord will be back by them, so we don't have to worry about that, right? Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 15. Second Chronicles chapter 15. So many good stories in the Old Testament with so many good principles. And tonight I'm preaching out of Kings. A lot of good stuff. Let's look at Second Chronicles chapter 15. And if you'd like, why don't we stand to our feet? If you can easily stand, let's stand while we read these verses. I'll read them. Then we'll have a word of prayer, and then you can be seated. 2 Chronicles chapter 15. And let's start reading in verse number 1. The Bible says, And the Spirit of God came upon Azariah the son of Oded, and he went out to meet Asa, and said unto him, Hear ye me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while ye be with him, and if ye seek him, he will be found of you. But if ye forsake him, he will forsake you. Um, this is just a side note. Obviously, the biblical teaching for salvation is we have eternal security in Jesus Christ. And we're kept by the Father. I mean, over and over again, we see that in the Bible. This, so this verse, while if you're a skeptic you're, and you're looking for problems in the Bible, this, I don't think anybody in this room is doing that, but this could be a verse you use. Look at You make decisions every day. And if you walk away from God, God is not obligated to partake in your stupidity. God is not obligated to take part in your stupidity. So when it comes to salvation, he will never leave us nor forsake us. You draw close to him, he'll draw nigh to you. But don't expect God to be with you in the back room of some bar while you're shooting up or something like that. He's waiting for you to come back to him. And you will not lose your salvation, but that's what he's talking about here, right? Okay, now we got that settled. Moving on. Verse number three. Now for a long season, Israel hath been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without law. But when they in their trouble did turn unto the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in, but great vexations were upon all the inhabitants of the countries. And nation was destroyed of nation, and city of city, for God did vex them with all adversity. 
Be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. So this is the prophet speaking, and now here Asa is listening. He's the king. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of all the hand of Judah and Benjamin and out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim and renewed the, the altar of the Lord that was before the porch of the Lord. Again, a side note, some of you probably need to renew the altar of the Lord in your home. I'm just, I'm just throwing that in there. It's, a, it's a, always a battle. Like, I grew up in a pastor's home, and I am a pastor, and I am a missionary, and it's still a battle. You need to renew that altar. From time to time, you just be, need to be like, okay, well, I messed up for the last two months. Let's get back to this. Let's get back to it. You need to have an altar in your home. Verse number nine. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them out of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of, the, and out of Simeon, and they fell to him out of Israel in abundance when they saw that the Lord his God was with him. Verse 10. So they gathered themselves together at Jerusalem in the third month in the 15th year of the reign of Asa, and they offered unto the Lord the same time of the spoil which they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep, and this is my text, verse number 12. And they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their heart and with all their soul. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this day again. And you've, you've already been with us. You've met with us. We enjoyed so much singing your praises and singing hymns to you. And the truths of the Bible move us. And we thank you for that. We thank you for, again for the liberty to meet this morning. We have no inhibitions. We are not afraid of somebody knocking on the door. We can, we can preach on the street if we wanted. We thank you for that. Now, Father, we pray that your Holy Ghost would have liberty amongst us, that your word would speak to us, that you, Father, would give me an unction. Father, I pray that you would help me not to say anything I should not say. Give me words that need to be said. Help our hearts to be open. Help the word to fall on good ground. And help us accomplish your will for this time. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. If you read a little bit about the life of Asa, you'll see that he did a lot of good stuff. He got a lot of stuff accomplished before this, prof, this, prof, this prophet came to him and told him this, and after. But Asa was one of the good kings. He tore down idols. He removed, I think one of the stories, he removed his mother. His mother was the queen, and he kicked her out because she was a bell worshiper or something like that. Like he, he, he didn't pull any punches. He was a good king. But this verse here that we read where he made a covenant to prepare, he, he entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of his fathers. This was something that made a difference in Asa's life. And this is how God looked at Asa. And let me tell you, church, this is how God views us also. My parents were saved out of Catholicism. They were my Grandfather was full-blooded Italian. My grandmother was full-blooded Polish. So my dad was like 200% Catholic, right? Uh, went to parochial schools there in Buffalo, Father Timon and Father Baker, and who knows. Uh, they baptized me at the Basilica, the huge Basilica in Lackawanna. And, you know, that, they got saved out of that Catholic background, the Catholic, Catholic religion. And when they did, like everything in their life changed, right? Like nothing they did before was what they did now. We got into, I don't know if you know Pastor Art Cole, Faith Bible Baptist Church in Eden, New York, is the church my dad grew in spiritually, and that's the church we're out of uh, way back in the 80s. And just like, they, like salvation came and, and uh, a consecration came at the same time for them because they got saved out of the world. 
And I was brought up at church, and I've seen this over and over again many times. Young people, they grow up hearing the truth, unlike my dad, who didn't hear the gospel until he was 29. Pastor Fred Simpson, Calvary Bible Baptist Church in Rochester, is where my dad heard the gospel for the first time. Just came in and sat down, sat in the back row. A roommate of my mother from Erie Community College had gotten saved and invited my parents to the one-year anniversary of, of Calvary Bible there in Rochester because she was saved. Because that's what Christians do, by the way, too. They, they talk about Jesus. Christians, we can't, we can't not do that. Like, Jesus is in there, and he gave us the Holy Ghost, and we just got to talk about him. And you may not know all the words to say, but we all can invite people to church, and that's what this lady did. She knew she was saved, and she invited my parents to church. Well, my parents were Catholic. My dad, you know, was, it was you know, the late 70s, early 80s. He had the big beard, long hair, driving his Harley bike, and sat in the back row. And after going to parochial schools for 12 years, that was the first time my dad ever heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that day my dad got saved. That was a great day in my life. And God just changed your life after that. But I grew up in church, first at Faith Bible, and then my dad went off to Bible college, and so I was in church there. And then my dad was a pastor, and I was in church there. And not only was I in church, but we were running the church. I, I'm kind of chuckle, Pastor Le, Pastor Legos over there doing the junior church. I've, I'm like I'm done with my junior church days. Like I did my time. And the third, we were in Syracuse for five years, and like third to sixth grade kids from the west side of Syracuse. I'm done. Give me adults or something or teenagers. But, but my dad was a pastor, and so we were not only injured, but we were, like, doing this. We didn't have a piano player, so I, I had to teach myself. to. I taught myself to play, like, 40 hymns. I can't read music. I can't play by ear, but I can play 40 hymns and fool a lot of people. And a lot of churches we've been in where I was the piano player. And this is how it was. I was 13, 14, 15, 16. We were teaching Sunday school and doing, a junior, doing junior church and part of the church. But that's because the, that was the culture we were brought up in. Just like any, any child anywhere is part of the culture of his home. doesn't matter if it's Mormon or Catholic or whatever religion or Baptist. It's just who you are. That's the culture you're brought up in. That doesn't make you a Christian. That doesn't make you a disciple of Christ. And because I grew up in that environment, unlike my parents who God brought them out of the world and after he saved them, like, they were totally different. Like, they, you, they, my dad, they went to the bars every night. My dad was growing marijuana in the garage. I mean, the whole nine yards. They had, he had his own business, so he had money. And we had a house on the cottage, house on Lake Erie, and then we had a house in town, and then we had, you know, brand new cars. So you have friends when you have money. God took them out of that environment into a church, and everything changed. Like, they gave up drinking, gave up going to the bars, gave up smoking, gave up those, all those friends. My godfather, Dave Waskalevich, a good godfather name there. And a lot of my dad's friends, I mean, we met, I met Dave Waskalevich for the first time in like 40 years back in 2016. A broken, broken, just no life. Because, because that's the life my parents came out of. Uh, we, were just, we celebrated our daughter's, or, yes, our daughter's 13th birthday yesterday. And she had about 15 of her cousins over there. You should have been there. Now, Michael can tell you how it was. You should have been there. It was like a Buffalo Bills game. We had people yelling and cheering and, and it, life. And I look at Dave Waskalevich, who's stuck in that old Catholic system, that worldly system. And, well, God took my parents out of that. But here I am now. I'm growing up in this environment. And there's a lot of young people that grow up in a Christian home and they get saved, 
Because salvation is 100% God. It's 100% the blood of Jesus Christ. Like we don't add, we don't bring anything to the table when it comes to salvation. And he saves us and he keeps us. And wow, what words? Wow, no condemnation. What? I mean, you can't even say those two words together without chills going up and down your spine. If you know who you are, if you, if you have, I mean, if you understand who God is and who you are, no condemnation. Are you kidding me? It's 100% God. But, but consecration is 100% you. You, ha you have to make that decision. You decided to come to church this morning. You have to get in the baptistry. You have to pick up the tracks. I, I saw them somewhere. And put them in your pocket and hand them to people. you got to open your mouth and talk to somebody on an airplane or at a, at a grocery store or at a restaurant. You, it's, it's that consecration that opening of the word, that family altar, that's 100%. That's not, that falls on your shoulders. And so back to the, my testimony there. My parents, they got them both at the same time, really. And I, I had salvation. But there needed to come a time in my life where I consecrated myself. That's why I like this, word, this verse here. They entered into a covenant. That's consecration. That's, that's a decision, a covenant. I'm deciding to do this. God, I'm putting my neck on the line. This is what I'm going to do. It's an oath. It's, okay, God, this is what I've decided. Stepping out from, you know, just, just stepping out and putting yourself out there, almost like a risk and saying, I'm, I'm, I'm entering into a covenant with you. That's consecration. I remember the night before my 16th birthday, I was going to turn 16 the next day. And I, I told you, I was playing the piano and we were leading this and doing that. And it was a rough Syracuse is rough, rough, you know, we were in a city church in Willis Ave right off of West Genesee. And I was about to turn 16. I'm like, if this, if all this stuff is true, if, you know, what my dad says is true, if there is a God, if there is a heaven, if there is a hell, if we are eternal souls, if people that reject Christ are going to hell, if people do need to hear this truth, if the Bible's true, then I'm going to be a Christian. I'm going to be a Christ follower because that's what I've decided to do. And that night, I consecrated myself. I didn't understand the terminology, and I didn't you know, walk forward in our house and declare this to my family. But in my heart, I consecrated myself. And from that day, my 16th birthday, I was a Christian because that's who I was. I was saved before, but now I'm, I made a covenant to seek the Lord. And you know what? That's when the Lord started working in my life. You may ask yourself, well, I'm just, I'm just looking for direction. I'm just, you know, I just want the Lord to show me. Well, you need to seek the Lord. You need to if you look in First and Second Chronicles, I love those two books, you'll see the phrasing, they prepared their heart to seek the Lord over and over again. They prepared their heart to seek the Lord. That, that might be part of it. You need, it's not just want to. Like the Christian life is not, I want to be good. Everybody wants to be good. Oh, I want to serve the Lord. Everybody wants to serve the Lord. It's not about what you want to do. It's not about sincerity. It's about this verse we're talking about right here. You have to prepare your heart to seek the Lord. You have to make a covenant and say, I'm going to seek you. I'm going to, I'm going to be after you, like we talked about in Sunday school. My heart's going to be after you. You, know, read the, you read the New Testament we went through in our church. It was over the course of a few years. But we went through every chapter in the New Testament outside of the Gospels. Do you realize... <clears throat> that almost every chapter, that the New Testament is full of love. Love for God, love for each other, how to treat each other. 
I mean, like every chapter. First John, Second John, uh, 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 Ephesians, Philippians, about brotherly love. It's about forgiveness. First Corinthians 13, it's about love. Except the book of Acts. The word love is not found in the book of Acts at all. Because it doesn't matter how much you love people if you don't have the truth. So you, you get your ecclesiastics right. You get in the right church. You get that down. Get your doctrine down. And then the Christian life is about loving other people. It's about forgiveness. It's about overcoming evil with good. It's about Romans 12. It's about, I mean, the whole New Testament. But you got to get your doctrine right. You just read that in the New Testament. That's just so stark. You got Acts, and then you have everything else is, you know, it's about love. And so here I am, 16. I make that decision to seek the Lord. And you know what? God starts working in my life. Six months later, God called me to the mission field. A year later, I met my wife. She wasn't my wife when I met her, but I met Katie. And um, she grew up at Heritage Baptist Church in Palmyra. And she was, I think she's the first student ever to go through the entire uh, school system there. And I was just there for one year, just enough to swoop in on a white steed and carry off my beautiful princess. Uh, because we're from, you know, like I said, we're not from around here, but I just swooped in, took her. We, we had our first date on Friday the 13th of uh, January, 1996. And we were married on Friday the 13th of August, 1999. And we have 13 kids. I'm just glad we didn't have our first date on the 27th or something like that. We'd be in trouble. Yeah. But after I, consecrate, after I uh, uh, made that sort of covenant or just decided for myself, you know what? The Lord started working. All of a sudden, it wasn't hard to read the Bible and to walk with the Lord anymore. You know, up to that point, my dad was the pastor. And, he'd, and, you know, so we, there's eight of us kids at home, and he'd be like, you need to read your Bible. You have to read your Bible for 15 minutes a day, and you have to do this, do that. And it was like a chore, all the way up until I turned 16. My, I remember my dad coming one time. He's like, did you read your Bible today? I was like, no, sir. He said, did you read it yesterday? I said, no, sir. He said, did you read it the day before? I said, no. It was like five days I'd miss. He's like, you sit in this room until you catch up on your Bible reading. I remember I thought it was so spiritual. I put in an Alexander Scorby, you know, King James tape. You young people don't know what tapes are. But there are these, like, things like this, and you, like, go like this when they come out. And I put in this tape. I listened to Scorby for, like, an hour. And I thought, you know, I'm this great Christian now. And it was, like, it was a chore to do the things of the Lord. That, literally, the day I prepared my heart to seek the Lord, I wanted to read the Bible. Like, everything changed. That consecration kicked in. That consecration my parents had, ready to leave all their old friends and that old lifestyle, all of a sudden that kicked in for me. And I'm saying to you, no matter if you've been in church your whole life or, you, or, this, is the, or you're, this is the first time you've been in church, you've only been coming for a month, you've been saved one month or 10 years or 50 years, there has to be a point where we say, you know what, I'm going to make a covenant to seek you. I'm going to, I'm going to prepare my heart to seek you, God. And that's what Asa did. He he had the, not only him, but he had the whole country do that. And, and the Lord worked. He used that to work in our lives there and, and bring us to Bulgaria. i got to tell you this quick story. Um, when we were on our way to Bulgaria, I, had a, I got a phone call from a missionary who was living in the United States, a missionary to Bulgaria, living in the United States. I'm trying to figure that one out. I'd like to work that out. Um, but he's like, brother, what do you plan on doing to get to Bulgaria? I said, you know, is this a trick question? We're going to start a church? 
because that's what people with the truth do. Churches birth churches. And we live in a, we're in a living organism. God's kingdom is living. And look at those seven churches in Revelation, they all died because a church has a, has a birth has a lifespan, has a death. I mean, churches, sometimes they live 100 years or 200 years or 300 years, but a church is a living organism and it needs to birth other churches. And um, uh, what was I, why was I saying that? Why was I talking about churches? Oh, so we're going to Bulgaria. So this guy's talking to me on the phone. I'm like, we're going to start a church. He's like, well, you can't start a church in Bulgaria. You have to go under one of the state, state um, like recognized churches. And they've, they have a few churches where if you get you know, permission from them, they'll let you go underneath their church. I was like, well, okay. You know, brother, thank you for the encouraging phone call. <laughs> and after I got off the phone, I, I, I looked it up. And sure enough, you had, to be, you had to go under one of the state churches to be recognized or to, be, to, to start a church. You couldn't just go there as a foreigner. So we continued on deputation. Now, I was 22, 23 years old, but I knew God had called me. And let me, can I throw this in here too? There's always a good excuse why you can't do what God wants you to do. You don't have to make up excuses. Like a good excuse. There's a, you have good excuses why you can't get it done. You probably, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> you probably had a good excuse not to come to church today. I mean, just the simple things. But when it comes to major things, I mean, we, we, we make up these and, and, and concoct these stories that, will confound everybody else to, you know, to justify our not doing what God wants us to do. And you know what we do when we hear a story like that? Oh, yeah, that makes sense to me. Yeah, I, I understand. And we kind of, we commiserate with each other. Yeah, you know what? You, you couldn't go to China as a missionary. That means impossible for you. you. You couldn't go to Africa as a missionary. You couldn't go start a church. You can't go to, I mean, you're 35 years old and you have a business. How can you go to Bible college? You know, how can you become a pastor? My dad was 35 years old when he went to Bible college. And sold the business, went to Bible college, and been a preacher ever since. Well, you can make, and you know what we do? We give our excuses to each other, and we're like, oh, you, that's, you're right, brother. Yeah, that is that's a tough thing. And we commiserate with each other. The problem is we're not standing before each other when it comes to the judgment day. We're standing before God, and he's going to be like, okay, I, I told you to do that. Why didn't you do it? And our excuses aren't going to fly that day. Now, thank God salvation is secure in him. We're going to be judged for our works. We're going to be judged for our works. Not for our sins, but for our works. 1 Corinthians, right? 1 Corinthians 3, right? We do we believe that, right? And some are going to get burned up. And some are going to come for, some are going to be like precious stones or gold or silver. But we're going to stand before God and he's going to be the judge. And our excuses don't work with him. And so, you know, we went to, we're like, okay, we're, God, we know you call us to Bulgaria, Lord, and we just kept going. And we got there, and just so many things the Lord has done through the years that has shown himself faithful. But it all goes back to preparing your heart to seek the Lord. Look, you're in a good church. This is a good church. And, and I don't know Pastor Legault or Pastor Kenny deeply, but I know their doctrine, where they stand. And this is a church where you're going to get good doctrine. Okay, you have the platform now. That doesn't mean, okay, I'm in a good church. That's it, right? Put it on cruise. That means now you have the ability to live the abundant Christian life. 
to get it done, to plug into God's, to God's kingdom, to plug into God's work, and to do something for him. You have, the, you have that taken care of. You're in a place. You got the book of Acts taken care of. Okay, we're in a good spot. They're preaching the truth. Now, let's see what God can do with us. You have that, you have that opportunity now. <clears throat> when, we, uh, when we started our church there, I, I talked a little bit about it in Sunday school. But our philosophy, our motivation was we're going to get the gospel to people and, you know, we're going, to get, we're going to get the gospel to people. They're going to get saved. We're going to get them baptized and we're going to build a church and we're going to teach guys to build churches. That was, that was our motivation. Like, let's get this done. I went to a school that was very, very high on motivation with getting things done, like getting out there. How many hours were you out? How many people did you talk to? How many people did you get in? How many people did you... Got baptized and it was just push, push, push all the time, and and really when we moved there, that was our motivation. Like we're, we're if it if it if it relies on us and and the and and the work that we're doing, we're gonna do everything we can to get as many people saved as we can, and that sort of motivated us. And then in about probably about ten years in, twenty fourteen or so, God changed our motivation. And you read you read a little bit in the book of Jonah. There's a uh, after he preaches and the whole city repents. Remember that? I mean, Jonah's a man of God. Like he had done other, he'd preached other places and God had used him in other times. But after the whole city repents, he, he's like upset at God. Now, it doesn't make sense for us as, you know, American Christians that why would, we'd be throwing a party. Like if the whole, I don't even know what city you guys are by here. What is Hannibal? Is there people living in Hannibal? <laughs> How many people have got in Hannibal? 580, I don't know. But if the, if the whole town of Hannibal like repented and came to the Lord and wanted to join the church and wanted to get baptized, I mean, we'd be having celebrations here. Like the whole country would be hearing about it and be like, oh, there's revival going on there. We need to get over there and see what's going on. It would be an exciting thing. Well, Jonah was like, the whole city repented and he's, he's throwing a pity party up there and saying, Lord, just kill me. You just look at, praying to God saying, I knew you were going to do this. I just knew you were going to have mercy on these people. That's the kind of person you are, just merciful. I mean, like using, like, like accusing God and stuff like that. And we moved to Bulgaria, and I'm, and I'm thinking I had that American mindset. It was, they just had the truth. If they just had the truth, if they just had the truth. And we found out people don't want the truth because their deeds are evil. Doesn't matter where you go. Doesn't matter where you go. People loved darkness because their deeds are evil. Well, all of a sudden, when, when nobody's getting saved or nobody's getting baptized or no growth is coming, is, is coming to the church, well, I mean, we're humans. You can only take that for so long, especially coming from an American standpoint. Like, everything's about growth. And I, I worked in sales for a while. I helped start a business out in Chicago. Everything I've ever touched in America has, has gone well, turned to gold. If you're, not, if you're not rich in America, if you grew up in America and you're not rich, either you're a Baptist preacher or uh, you're just lazy. I mean, there's, there's money laying on the streets. I mean, our kids in Bulgaria have made $20,000 just playing a violin on the streets. You can make, there's place, ways you can make money in America. And... Um, just, you know, moving to Bulgaria and my mindset of this American mindset that, you know, if I work harder, things will get done faster. It was not a Bible mindset. And God changed and he used, like I said this morning, God called us to Bulgaria not because we're special, but because that's where he put us so he could work on us. 
And so it was about 2014, I'm reading that story of Jonah, and it's like the Lord just works on my heart, and he's and changed our motivation. And in 20, I mean, it's almost, it's very, it was very stark, but like our motivation, not anything we did changed, or not what we did or how we did it even, but just in our heart what was motivating us. And it went from trying to get people saved and baptized to preaching Jesus because he's always worthy to be preached. And that's what motivates us now. Whether there's 10 people in church or 100 people in church, Jesus is worthy to be preached. And he's worthy to be preached. Uh, there's, if there's one thing I can't stand, it's a, it's a preacher that can make the Bible boring. What? How do you make this book boring? There's so much stuff in this book. I mean, it's, it's so alive. I, we had a professor in Bible college. He'd, he'd preach in chapel, and he'd come out like this. He'd be sitting on the platform, ready to preach. He'd come up, and he'd go, he'd go, It's breathing. It's alive. <laughs> this word is alive. This, this, word is, this, this word changes people. It still changes people. It still takes people. It still takes drunks out of the gutter and makes them Baptist preachers. This book, the, the truth in this book, and this Bible still changes lives. It still takes people out of the mud and puts them on a rock. This is, this is what we have. And no matter where you go, that's the message you preach. And whether it falls, look, you can't change the ground it's falling on. But you can give the truth. And just because we, look at, I, I pray, we're going back to Bulgaria. We're about to start a church in a different place. And look, if you saw my heart, you would see, you can ask the people closest to me, you would see it in my heart that I believe that God's going to do something amazing in my, in my estimation. Like, people are going to get saved. And this church is going to grow, and there's going to be Muslims coming to the Lord. And, and, and in the Muslim world, men lead their families, unlike the United States and most of the world that are woman-dominated. But the Bible, I mean, they already have that right. And the men lead their families, and, I'm, and the men will talk to me. And this is what, in my head, that God's going to do something. I believe he's going to do something. But if he doesn't, I'm still going, and I'm still preaching the same Jesus. It doesn't matter how many... People uh, listen to your call for your Sunday school. Well, my Sunday school class hasn't grown in 18 years. Who cares? Are you preaching the truth? Jesus is the one that's exciting, not how many people are sitting in the pews. If we're going by how many people are sitting in the pews, people, Joel Osteen is winning. I don't even know who the modern guys are, these idiots on television. But they, they get way more people in an auditorium than we get. It has nothing to do with getting people in an auditorium. The truth has nothing to do with the growth of your Sunday school class. It has to do with the truth of the Bible that we're giving to people. That's what Christianity is about. It's about giving the truth, giving the light. We're the ambassadors of this light. And that's what being a missionary is. It's just being an ambassador of the truth in a different country. It's the same thing. Like I said this morning in Sunday school, there's no good like better people than other people. It's the same. We're all the same. And whether you're giving a gospel tract to somebody in Hannibal, the booming metropolis of 8,000 people or whatever it is, or you're in Africa. I've been to Africa many times. I've been in 35 countries. The Lord has opened the door for us to travel. And it doesn't matter where you're at. The gospel is the same. And, it, and Jesus is supernatural. And this book is supernatural. And God, our Father, is supernatural. And we have access to that. And that's why I want to encourage, look, God's still calling people to the mission field. I believe that. I mean, he still commanded us. Like, 
God didn't command us, send you into all the world. He said, go you into all the world. I mean, that's, that's, what, that's what disciples of Jesus do. That doesn't mean you're going to go live for 50 years in China or die in Africa like C.T. Studd after serving in India and China and then died in Africa after 30 years or 40 years of service. But that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to go. Instead of taking five or six, wasting five or six thousand dollars, you know, to go on a family vacation to a place that hates Jesus and promotes homosexuality, like a place that rhymes, I won't say it out loud because I'm online, that rhymes with Disneyland. Instead of wasting your money going to a place that hates Jesus, why don't you go on a missions trip? Jesus said, go into all the world. You know what, go, what two weeks in Mexico will do for you? You don't know because you haven't gone. But Jesus knew, and that's why he said, go. I mean, this is just the Bible. You don't have to be called to go. You had to go because Jesus said, go. Go see Mexico. Go see Brazil. Look at you. How many missionaries do you support here? How many missionaries? Six, you had 60 choices. Well, probably 20 of those are in the United States. So you have 40 choices to go somewhere. Look at, if, if it's a missionary that's getting something done, he wants you to visit. You know how much we enjoy having? Uh, look at, this is to show you. We enjoyed having Michael Shelton with us for a month. That, that just goes to show you how much missionaries enjoy having visitors. It doesn't matter. Our kids don't hear English, and so Michael speaks English to some extent, and they enjoy it was fun. I'm just saying, you'll be an encouragement. You say, well, I'm, I'm just not that type. I'm just not, you know, I'm just not a good talker. Look, I know there's a lot of people that are not, they're, not, they're like Moses, right? Mo that was Moses' excuse, wasn't it? They're not, they don't feel like they're capable of speaking to people. So what? It has nothing to do with going. Just go. Just go see it. Just spend some time with a missionary for a week or two. Pick one of those 40 people and go. Jesus said to go. He didn't say send you into all the world. He said go into all the world. And what does that do? It changes your perspective on this world. This big, dark world. Because once you leave the United States, it's dark out there. It's dark out there. People, there's no access to the truth. I mean, we just, I don't know how to explain it, but in America, it's just, there's lights everywhere. And I know we're going the wrong direction at 100 miles an hour. Look, I'm not naive. I know we're going the wrong direction at 100 miles an hour but we're still about 100 miles ahead of where the rest of the world is as far as where they're at. Morally, spiritually, Bulgaria kills more babies than are actually born. Moldova is another country, more abortions than live births. We average 1.1, I mean, our, our, our nation in Bulgaria is, has, is one of the fastest decreasing populations in the world. Because they don't have children. They have one children, maybe two at the most. Immorality, their favorite president is Bill Clinton. Not because they're liberal Democrats or leftists, but because of what he got away with in the White House. That is why he's their favorite president. They got a statue of him in Kosovo because he's, we had that fake country there in Kosovo. I mean, just like the world is dark. Just take a map and stick your finger on it somewhere and go. And God comes to us and he, he says, okay, Asa, you're the king. 
I'm going to give you a chance here. I'm going to send you Oded. You, you read the story. He did good stuff before Oded showed up. But after Oded spoke, he said, you know what? I'm going to prepare my heart. I'll make a covenant to get it done. Let me finish with one story. This isn't a typical Sunday morning sermon. Again, I, 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 don't know, I don't even know who's visiting, who's not. You all look like visitors to me, except for Michael Shelton. But um, I'll finish with this story. It's personal, and I, I've only told it a couple times, but I think it's relevant, I'm going to say it. When I was 16, I started walking with the Lord, and the Bible uses that terminology. Just be with the Lord. You know, this, we, we, we get this idea in our head, we have to pray, we have to always be talking. No, when you're with your wife, you just want to be with her sometimes. You walk, take a walk on the beach, you don't have to be talking every second you're on the beach. Sometimes you just go, you know, 50 yards without talking, depending on the wife or the man, you know, with the conversation. But you, the, the point is you're with that person. That's the point. You're with that person. And, and you say, well, I'm always with God. God's always with me. Yes, that's true. But you should take time just to be with God. Find a place and just be with him. You don't have to have a prayer list of 100 things that you need to ask for. You know, what kind of marriage would that be? If my wife, every time I came home, she's got uh, the honey to-do list, right? The honey-do list. Uh, these are the 20 things I need you to give me. Okay, well, that is great, and I want to get them done for you, but maybe I would like you just to be with me. Maybe that's how I look at walking with God. Just be with him. He used it for Noah. He used it for Enoch. This is a biblical term, to walk with God. Micah 6, 8. So just walk with God. So from the time of six, I was 16, I had to walk with God. I, and I, I would find a place I would literally walk. I think there's something to be said about that too. That's a different sermon. But just walk with God. Just be with God. Whatever house we're in, my family was in, I found a place I'd walk with God. It's easy to do here out in the country. You don't live in New York City. Amen right there. You don't live in California. Amen. Um, but just find a place you just walk with God. Walk with God. Went to Bible college. I had to fight for that walk with God. I fought hard because we worked. We went to school, and then we went to work from 3 o'clock till you know, midnight, 1, 2 in the morning. And classes started at 8, and we had devotion at 7.30. So to walk with God, it was harder. I fought for it and walked with God. And I had a place at college or in the trees where I walked with God, walked with God. Went to the mission field. It was easy at first because we didn't have a ministry. Walk with God, walk with God. Fast forward to last, this is two years ago. And like I said, it mentioned in Sunday school, but the, your family altar, we had, we homeschool and we had um, started doing devotions at eight o'clock in the morning. And so we all meet and it's a great time. I, Michael was with us for that month and you could t that's basically our, what we would do. And we meet, we read the Bible, we have our little ways of doing it and strange ways of doing it. And uh, just love being with the Lord, just enjoy being with the Lord. And we always sang always prayed. We don't rush through pray, praying. Now, I was 12 years old. I look at my kids and I'm like, what? When I was 12 or 13, we go to a prayer meeting. I'm like, if it was a Wednesday night and they break up into groups, I'm like, I'm going to get in a group where I know the guys don't pray for a long time. If there's like a long-winded prayer, I'm like going to the group where the guy is the shortest prayer because I want it to be done. And what we've, our children have grown up with, like, there's no rush when you pray. Like, there's no, I, thank you for not making not making a time limit. I was in a church, he's like, and he's like, well, our, our, our people have had a rough weekend. Can you be done? It was a Sunday night. This is not recently, but can you be done by 7? You know, they've had a tough weekend. And so I preached my sermon, just stopped right at 7. And, and he came up to me. He's a, he's a little younger than I am. I said, you know what? America's never going to see revival if you have to 
have a, a time limit on the service. We are never going to see revival with that type of attitude. So um, anyway, we had started this new system at meeting at 8 in the morning, and, and we were, every morning, I have a bullhorn that I, you know, we have this huge house, so it's 17 minutes you know, until 8 o'clock, you know, 3 minutes, and everybody's down there at 8, at 8 o'clock, we just start, we get into it, and for, we don't, there's no, we don't have to start math at 9, it's, we finish at 9.15, 9.30, 9.45, we want to sing an extra song, we want to pray extra, three or four people are praying, that's fine. And it's, it was a good thing we were doing. A good thing. Like pastors of churches would be like, they would be doing cartwheels if the families in their church were doing what we were doing. But I was missing something, and it was my walk with God. I was still preaching. I was still, you know, st everything was still normal. But that my time with God, we live right in the Black Sea. A lot of times I'd go down to the beach, just be with them. Just be with them. And I've, we've never had any health issues. I mean, the Lord has been so gracious with us. 13 kids on the mission field. We've probably been to the doctors three times, five times in 20 years. I mean, well, they have a broken arm. I can't, you know, do the broken arm myself, so we have to go to a doctor. And if you, haven't, if you have boys and nobody's broken an arm, then you've got some sissy boys in your house. <laughs> and so, you know, we've been to the doctors a couple times, but we don't, like a GP, we, I didn't even know that was a thing until I came back. I was like, who's your GP? I was like, who's my G? What? What is GP? But I guess everybody's got one, a doctor. We don't have a doctor. I'm not against doctors. I'm just saying that's just the way it's been. And, um, and of course, I'm a, typical, I'm a typical man from the 1900s. The men nowadays, who knows? But a typical man from the 1900s, you older guys know, we don't go to the doctors. Like, we don't go. Like, we have to have our, we have to, like, be holding our arm in our other arm, like disattached before we'll go, oh, you know what, somebody's got to sew this back on, right? We just don't go to the doctors. And it was a, just a regular night, about 2 o'clock in the morning, and all of a sudden I had this pain in my back. And I got up, and I, I couldn't even walk to the bathroom. I just fell down on the ground. I'm like, this, I had this pain in my back. This was during COVID. That was a blessing. So long story short, my wife takes me down. We went, we called a taxi to go down to the, doc, the hospital emergency room. Uh, thankfully, it wasn't on the weekend because they closed the hospital on the weekend. So um, it was, we walk in there, Katie was expecting. And so there's no, not one other person in the emergency. By the way, on the news, they were saying the hospitals are full because of COVID. I took video there. Not one other person. I went to two different floors. Not a person on the, on the television was saying the hospitals are full. This was the hospital. Nobody. Not one person. And the lady would not let Katie sit in the waiting room. She's like eight months expecting. She would not let her in. So I had words with her. I could barely, I mean, my face was white. I could barely stand. But I had to argue with her for a while. It was typical Eastern Europe. This, this, my, my wife has lived with this for 20 years. God bless her. And anyway, long story short, they gave me a shot and sent me home. And they said, you have to go, you know, to a urologist or something. It could be a kidney stone or something like that. So I went home. And was, again, I was like three in the morning, and I just, I, I, I would walk, I had this pressure on my back. If you had kidney stones, I guess this is what it felt like. But I didn't have, I didn't pass anything. I never had it, any issue, but it felt like a kidney stone. And so I'm, I was walking around the house just saying, God, help me. God, help me. God, what is this? God, help me. God, help me. God, help me. And then we have a little, we have a chimney or a little uh, fireplace, and it's got like, um, 
granite in front of it, and it was, and I was laying down on that, like in the fetal, fetal position, position, and Katie was standing there crying. I was like, just go upstairs. You know, it's not helping you standing here. Just forget about it. Just go upstairs. And for a couple hours, I was down there, just this pain in my back, just this pressure, this pain. I couldn't take it. I just kept saying, God, help me. God, where are you? What is this? God, help me. God, help me. And, like, I have zero Pentecostal blood in me, but I'm laying there. And at some point, I just lay on the ground. I just reached my hand up. I was like, Father, it's me. It's Nick. And the pain went away like that. And I'm laying there, and I was afraid to move because I'm thinking maybe it's the way I'm laying. Like, I still didn't have faith, but maybe the way I'm laying has relieved the pressure or whatever. I'm laying there. And God starts working in my head. He's like, you've, you've always been after me. You've always walked with me. You've always searched for me. Even if you went a week or two and you got cold, your, your heart wanted to be with me. And where are you? And I, I waited for the pain to come back. I didn't even tell my wife. I didn't even tell Katie until the next night. Like it went two days go by before I got up the courage because I didn't want to jinx myself, you know, into having the pain again. But the next night I told her, I was like, I turned to God and I said, Father, it's Nick. And it was just like God reminded me of that decision I made when I was 16 years old. The only reason we're sitting here today is because of him. And if you miss that, if you miss him, you've missed it. If you go to China and preach the gospel for 50 years, but you miss him, you missed it. It's about him. These seats are about him. These instruments are about him. The songs we sing are about him. The preaching that's done, it's about him. The Christmas program is about him. It's all about him. And if you miss him, you've missed it. And he reminded me that. Reminded me of that. And when I read this chapter, I'm like, man, that's, that's something I want to keep in my life. It's a battle because we live in the flesh. It's a battle. Many times I'm away from my wife traveling. But you know where my heart is? I was with her. Like, I want to get back. I want to fellowship with her. I'm preaching. You're not with God right now. I know God's here. We're in his presence. But you're not spending time with God right now. Just like I'm not spending time with my wife right now. Does that make sense? You have to, you have to meet with God. And that's what Asa did. Let's finish with one verse there. I, it's, a, it's a sad verse. And we're done. It's, look, it's 12. 12.03. I told you. I promise you before too. Look at 2 Chronicles, chapter 16, the next chapter. Actually, let me read a couple of verses, starting in verse number 9. This is 2 Chronicles, chapter 16, verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong in the behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Herein thou hast done foolishly. Therefore from henceforth thou shalt have wars. Speaking to Asa because he didn't seek the Lord. Then Asa was wroth with the seer and put him in a prison house for he was in a rage with him because of this thing. And Asa oppressed some of the people at the same time. And behold, verse 11, the acts of Asa first and last though they are written in the book of the kings of Judah and Israel. And Asa in the thirty and ninth year of his reign was diseased in his feet until his disease was exceeding great. And then look at this sad phrase. Yet in his disease he sought not to the Lord, but to the physicians. 
It doesn't say that God would have healed him if he would have turned to him first. It doesn't say, you know, because he went to the physicians first that, you know, God cursed him. It's sort of like the Lord just put that in there. Like, the Lord was just bummed. Like, Asa, why did you come to me? I'm your father. I'm your God. I'm the one you tore down those idols for, tore down those groves for. I'm the one that you made a covenant with. And it's like the Lord just sticks in there. It's like, yeah, he had disease in his feet and didn't come to me. And it hurt me. That's all I'm saying this morning. I'm a missionary. And I'm telling you, it creeps into our life and we do the works of God. But sometimes we leave that God out. And like a husband and a wife need time together, communication, just to be together, just to talk, just to spend time. That's what God wants with us. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Just, he wants to be with you. He wanted to be with Asa. He wants to be with me and he wants to be with you. Hey, we got the, doc okay, we got the doctrine down. You're in a good spot. You got the Bible. You got the right Bible. The only Bible. You got that. Now let's build a relationship with the one that this church is about and the one that this Bible is about. Let's stand to our feet. Just bow our heads for a minute. Close our eyes. I'm going to turn it over to the pastor in a minute, but I want you to just consider yourself. David says in Psalm 139, he examined himself. Just try. He looked at his own soul, where he stood with God. I want you to just examine yourself. If we took the amount of time that you've spent with God. I'm not talking about church time. I'm not, I'm not necessarily even talking about Bible time. Where you've been in Bible study. But I'm just talking about just being with him. If we took that amount of time and hung your Christianity on that amount of time, where would you be? And I, if it can happen to me on a mission field as supposedly some servant of God. If it can happen to Jonah. Look, it can happen to us. And in a, in, a, in a group of people this size, there, there's somebody that's, that's, that has a cold altar this morning. The piano's playing. If you'd like to come talk to the Lord, the altar's open.